Hello, welcome to the Monday, October 3rd edition of the OK Preps Extra podcast. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, I'm Patrick Prince, joined as always by our high school sports editor, Barry Lewis, and our high school writer, Dean Rule. Um, guys, we were talking a little bit before we went live here, and we got we got a lot of, a lot of potential areas to get into here. Let's start with uh, what Bixby did to Southmore on Friday night, winning 80 to nothing. There is no mercy rule, if you will, in 11-man football. There is an eight-man, but Bixby won by 80 on Friday, a week before. Stillwater beat U.S. Grant out of Oklahoma City, eight to five to zero. So question, we'll start with you, Barry. Should there be a mercy rule in 11-man football? No, but uh, the running clock should be used uh, maybe sooner than it already is being used. Um, I think the I don't like the mercy rule uh, above the eight-man level because it just seems like uh, you're just shortchanging everybody, uh, at least the appearance of playing a full game, even though you don't get a lot of action in the second half when you go to the running clock. Well, and also there are different ways of doing a running clock. Some people do it, really do a running clock, and some people it's sort of a modified running clock. But I think these things usually, when things get out of hand, like when it gets to be in the second quarter, 52 to nothing or 59 to nothing, something like that, I think these things usually take care of themselves. You go to the running clock, most of those situations, and because that time goes by so quickly, the most a team usually adds would be two or three touchdowns. So you have like an 80 to nothing final score. It usually winds up less than that. Again, it depends how, 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 how you do the actual running clock. Um, so, and I usually, for most part, coaches, it's a coaching fraternity because most coaches realize that someday they're going to be on the other end of it. <laughs> if you coach long enough that uh, they are, they know what it is to be on the other. Most of them know what it is to be on the losing end of that. So they try to eat, take it easy and also give valuable playing time in the second half, even if it's only for a handful of plays with the running clock, to their backups. And it's also a morale booster for backups to get into the game, even for, uh, for it's, if it's just for a little while. And um, then you've got the band and all the halftime activities component into it. For a lot of people... That's a big part of the Friday night experience is seeing the band. And especially at the larger schools, the, the band is, is huge. And uh, in just the whole, everything you've got planned for halftime. So I don't think you would want to have the game ended before you got to that because naturally a lot of people would leave. Um, so um, I'm for, and also I want to say when it comes to the running clock, not everyone accepts the running clock. I think the in the like the earlier game this year, I saw Lincoln Christian and Holland Hall, uh, a stunner that you know it's it's a, a rematch of teams that played in the state championship game two years in a row, and Lincoln Christian was up forty two nothing at halftime, and I think the running clock was proposed to Holland Hall at some point, but Holland Hall didn't want to do it. Um, they wanted to compete and. They played without a running clock. They competed well in the second half, and both teams got valuable experience, and they pretty well played it to a draw in the second half. I've seen other situations where coaches, even down worse than that, have refused to go to the running clock when they've been on the losing end of it. 
So um, there's just so many different ways to approach. And then, Dean, you've got the running clock situation. I think it was inadvertent that you were at Stillwater and Booker T the other night. I was watching on TV, and I saw, of course, Stillwater ran away with that game. I saw um, times disappear from the clock um, at times <laughs> during that game, especially, I think, uh, Stillwater scored its last touchdown with 2.21 left, and then there was like a minute left when they kicked off. Uh, you could tell us more about that. And what are your feelings on this subject? See, so, yeah, I mean, Barry, I got to agree 100% with everything you've said. And I, I chatted with uh, the Southmore head coach, uh, Jake Mondin, Mondin, today over the phone. And he's uh, this is his first season coaching in uh, Oklahoma. He spent his time in Arkansas before this, and he was telling me all about how in Arkansas, they've got your your 35 point. They start the running clock if you're you're losing by 35. And uh, I, I asked him straight up. I said, "Hey, would you be interested in if this game is super out of hand like it was last Friday when you're down 66 to zero at halftime against Bixby? Would you be a proponent of maybe just cutting it short and calling it a game at half?" And he said, "Absolutely not." He said he's a big advocate for that running clock, but. He said, if there's any silver lining in this, it's that uh, you, you get to use your backups and get those backups experience. I think just about every head coach in America prioritize experience and, and live reps for not just starters, but, but backups. And so he said, well, yeah, Bixby's up 66. Their backups are getting experience, but we're going to use this as an opportunity to give our guys uh, experience. He said he was pulling starters when Bixby started to sub out two. When, this, when that game got out of hand and, and Bixby was put in their second and third stringers, he did the same thing just to keep just to keep it going, get everybody some experience. So I think he he he, he doesn't want to be see games get cut short, especially in 11 man because um, he, he prioritizes that experience so much and, and getting kids to play even if toward the end it does just feel like a scrimmage or a you know two team practice. It's important to him, and so he said running clock, fine, but cutting these games short, he's not a big fan of it at all. Guys, most teams have played five games. Uh, a few have played six, but most have played five. Uh, let's talk a little who would be your first half MVPs if, if we had such a thing. Dean, why don't you go first, and we'll go to Barry. First half MVP. So, I mean, in terms of just players, I really like uh, – Again, I always feel like a broken record on here every Monday, but, uh, you know, Jamarian Ficklin, what he's doing in Muskogee. I like Reese Roller a lot in Verdigris. Um, both of those schools undefeated right now. Getting to see Stillwater last uh, last Friday, it did impress me what, uh, what Gage Gundy looks like. Having that, that team looks pretty much in the driver's seat in Class 6A2. And just his efficiency, his ability to move that ball around, I, I was very impressed with what he what he was doing and looking at how his body of work so far this season is. I, it's impressing me, and I think he's a huge reason why the Pioneers are undefeated. So those, those are some names that stick out to me. Um, there's others, but I'm interested to see what Barry's got to say on this one. Well, hold hold, hold on, we're not we're not doing co first half MVPs. You mentioned some great players, but you get one vote. You got one vote. Who are you picking? One vote on the spot. I, I'm going uh, Reese Roller. Fair enough, Barry. Same question to you. First half MVP. I'm gonna. I right now I would have to rank 
um, Chance Wilson, who's number one in my all-world rankings, as number one, five and zero. Oh. Uh, his typical game, pretty much what we saw against Sequoia. You were there with me, Patrick, on last Friday night. Um, 400 plus total yards, five touchdowns he produces. Um, there was no panic and uh, rejoice when they got down a couple touchdowns against the previously undefeated team. He's just, uh, I mean, just sort of expect every game numbers that most people would just dream about doing once. He does regularly. So Chance Wilson to rejoice would be my MVP pick right now. Runner up would be DJ McKinney of Union, running back, move in from Booker T. Uh, he's certainly, he hasn't come from out of nowhere. He came from Booker T, obviously. But uh, I don't think anyone was expecting him to have the first half, the consistency every game that he's having for a team that's 5-0. and So... He would be my runner-up. Chance Wilson be number one. I do like Dean's picks in Jamarian Ficklin. Um, maybe the next opening on my all-world rankings. I need to put him in there. <laughs> so yeah, like you mentioned, Barry, I was I was there in Owasso and and saw the game with you. Um, Rejoice is really good. Chance Wilson is really really good. That, there's no great news flash there. But did anything come out of that game surprise you, or did you learn anything? Maybe even if it was about Claremore Sequoia, just kind of other than the obvious, what came out of that game for you? Yes, even though, I mean, last week we were talking about, so I mean, it was shaping up that it should be a really great game, but you just never know. I mean, because after all, Rejoice did route Sequoia last year bad. <laughs> it, was, it was 63 to nothing last year. They played a great game the previous year. And that's what I thought was more what we would see. And that was um, last this past Friday. And that was the case. Although there was a little more defense played last Friday than there was two years ago. The teams are better now than two years ago. Uh, but there was still that thing in the back of my mind, is Sequoia for real, even though they'd won seven games each of the past two years. And I think Sequoia showed they are for real. I mean, they answered the questions. Um, they are legit. They played with Rejoice pretty well all the way down to the wire. It was a one-point game until just over a minute left. And it really came down to uh, a block, special teams. Rejoice block two kicks. That was the difference. If Sequoia gets that cleaned up, who knows? They could still be playing in overtime. I was impressed, Barry, with Sequoia's quarterback. He he can throw it around a little bit. What do you think yes. of him? Landon Gilbreth is the coach's son, just a sophomore. Yeah. Very, very promising. And they've got a really, uh, considering they're really a team that runs the ball primarily, they show they can throw it around, got good receivers. So I think Sequoia can come out of that with a lot of, lot of positives in case they have to play Rejoice again are, are a similar type team. So, Dean, you, you, so you were at Stillwater uh, Booker T last Friday, and you touched on Stillwater earlier. Um, what, what can you say about Booker T? They, they're, they're still kind of struggling a little bit. Stillwater's really good, taking nothing away from Stillwater, but – you know, Booker T has had its struggles this year. What what do you make out of what you saw out of the Hornets? You know, I think uh, the the first big takeaway from that game in, in terms of Booker T is they, they struggled to get the passing game going early. Lathan Boone had two completions at halftime on four attempts. 
Now, post halftime, they got it going. They were able to get Micah Tease rolling a little bit because when you've got a player like Micah Tease, you go, you have to have him rolling every game. Uh, so, that, so that right there, I think, was the big problem. They, they just couldn't get solidified there. Defensively, you know, there were some blips, but they, they I think defensively was not the issue. The defense on, on Friday was not the issue. I think it came trying to get that passing game rolling um, and then turnovers bit. Then they were minus four in the turnover differential, three fumbles, an interception. All these little mistakes just kind of added up, and it results in a 38-6 to six loss for them. So, and, and you know, Coach Brownie, he, he knows it's just about they're, they're going to take this game, try to improve off of it, get these, these little mistakes fixed up, fix the details, and, and hopefully come back out this second half of the season and, and get rolling again. I think, and we talked about this, Patrick, a couple of years, a few years ago with Dax Hill. I think when Micah Tease only has, now correct me if I'm wrong, Dean, first half, he had just the one catch for two yards or something like that. He just had one, he touched, that was the only time he touched the ball in the first half. Yep. I, you've got to, he's got to touch the ball more than that somehow, uh, whether it's run jet sweeps, reverses, something. He's got to, he's got to touch the ball more than that. I said that with Dax Hill four years ago, and I feel, and Dax primarily obviously was defensive guy, but still, uh, they would use him on offense. But like one touch a game, <laughs> Micah D somehow, some way, has got to be touching the ball more. Uh, so. I was reading the uh, Player of the Week candidates, Barry, and I couldn't help but notice uh, Red Martell for Beggs put up some crazy stats. He rushed for uh, 339 yards and six TDs. Uh, what? And you both have seen him play. I think, Barry, you saw him last year. Dean, you've seen him this year. Uh, Dean, why don't you go first? Tell me a little bit about this kid. Well, what sucks is the game that I got to see him running he struggled. He had, uh, I'm top of my head, it was 13 carries for 33 yards. And after hearing all about this kid and his abilities, it was kind of a letdown not to get to see, you know, him rush for 339 yards like he did on Friday. But in the limited amount that I did get to see him, he's a powerful running back, you know, low center of gravity, bell cow, everything you want in a running back. It just the, the the execution was not there in the game I saw against uh, when when Beggs played Verdigris, but you know those intangibles are there. So to see him put up 339 yards, I think he had two interceptions on Friday too. So mm -hmm. when when he's putting up these crazy stats, all the intangibles I saw were there. I just didn't see them the execution. Barry, yeah, Red Martell. A lot of people will vow that he is the best running back in Oklahoma. And I'm not going to argue against that. He certainly would be among my top three or four. Uh, the game, One of the games I saw him last year, of course, last year, he was splitting time with the great C.J. Brown, who's at OSU. Mm -hmm. And so he was not getting all the carries, but you could just tell he was a special running back in, in that, even in that role. He's a special running back. It was too bad. In one of the games I saw him play last year, he was dominating in the first half, but then got hurt and didn't play in the second half. Uh, he's obvious. I call a lot of big time colleges are after him, so the sky's the limit for him. But I felt like I can sort of relate to Dean. 
on my top running backs list is Emmanuel Crawford at Grove, who put up like the same type of numbers as Red Martell did the other night. And uh, the game I saw Emmanuel Crawford this year, he Wagner totally stuffed him pretty much, except for the touchdown. They intentionally allowed him to score. And he did have one run at the end of the game that uh, for a first down that sealed the outcome. But uh, I've sort of felt it was a letdown, although it's a bit of a different context because with Grove, Grove did win that game. So, um, but I wanted to see, because Emmanuel Crawford so many times puts up those incredible numbers of 300 yards a game, and I didn't see it. He was getting one yard a carry, two yards a carry until the final minute. So hopefully uh, I will get a chance to see Emmanuel Crawford and both Emmanuel Crawford and Red Martell sometime later the season because they are both special talents as is um, uh, another person who belongs in that running back list besides dj mckinney who i mentioned earlier i will uh, is eric mccarty a McAllister, who i will see this thursday at coweta well barry i'm glad you brought that up you, yeah you've got a uh is blockbuster a fair word that seems like a great matchup uh on thursday that you'll be there for McAllister coweta won't you break that down for us yeah, I, I really uh, blockbuster matchup. You got two five and O teams, number one versus three ranked teams. Uh, McAllister with an incredibly dramatic win that Dean wrote about in his fantastic finish in Sunday's paper. McAllister <laughs> was down ten with two minutes to go, less than two minutes to go. Comes back to win in overtime, and so. Um, They've got a lot of momentum going into that game. That was quite the showdown at Dell City. We knew that was going to be a showdown. And this is, but can McAllister on a short week get it geared back up again, um, get all fired up again for another showdown against Kawita? This is really tough, tough road trips back to back weeks, especially on a short week. We'll see if they can do it. Uh, of course, Kawita's all fired up. McAllister visited Kawita in a similar type situation last year and McAllister just dominated totally so um it'll be interesting to see what this rematch looks like on Thursday night and then uh, a very similar type showdown is taking place um at Cushing where you that Dean will be at on Friday Wagner Cushing you don't have two five and oh teams Cushing's five and oh Wagner is three and two could easily be five and oh so that ought to be a fun one for Dean to be at. Barry, why why are they playing that game Thursday night? It's a year view game. Oh, okay, great, great. Yeah, so Dean, what are your thoughts on uh, Barry alluded to it? What are your thoughts on uh, the game you'll be at Friday, Cushing Wagner? So Cushing Wagner, I think that's the uh, a powerful offense versus a stout defense. You know, Wagner's not allowing. So they're averaging, I think, only nine points a game they're allowing on defense. Cushing, though, you got the the two-headed monster of um, Camden Crooks and uh, Blaze Berlowitz. I think it's going to be – it's either going to be a 50-40 to 40 game or a 17-10 to 10 game, no in between there. You're either getting all defense or all offense on a Friday night, and I think it's going to be great. And I think Barry's correct, and Wagner very well could be undefeated right now. Tough breaks, you know, 9-7 loss to Kawita, who undefeated right now. But uh, as Wagner team's good, but this Cushing team's just as good. So I think it's going to be a, a pivotal game. Yeah. Um, 
Sorry, I'm, I'm making notes. Give me uh, give me 30 seconds. Okay, Sorry. lost my train of thought there for half a second. Um, guys, let's talk about the tragedy, what happened Friday night with McLean and the shooting. Um, it's kind of a fluid situation, um, so we don't want to say too much here because it might change tomorrow. Uh, but Barry, just you and I were kind of talking before we went live here. What are, what are your thoughts on what's going on there? It was just because um, we're wondering – Cleveland announced just a few hours before we did, just a few hours ago, before, uh, that uh, it wasn't going to go to McLean for their scheduled game this Friday. That's the only thing that we exactly know at this point is that there won't be a football game at McLean this Friday, whether that means they're playing somewhere else. Uh, just haven't had any, we don't know at this moment, no comments uh, at this point, and maybe they have, that hasn't been decided. But just in general, my reaction was, I mean, I hope there's a game because I hate to penalize the McLean players who had nothing to do with this unfortunate, with this tragedy that occurred. You don't want to penalize them. Um, they should be allowed to play somewhere. And so it would just be unfair um, to penalize them, but at the same time, safety, of course, has to be the number one priority, whether it's COVID or this situation. And so my first reaction was after it ha happened was, I don't see how, I think there's at least for a while, there probably shouldn't be any athletic events at McLean. Uh, just I, whether it's for the rest of the football season, whether it goes longer than that, but that was just my initial reaction. Uh, just, but I think the McLean student athletes should be allowed to play somewhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Dean, I've really enjoyed the player interviews on this podcast that you've done this year uh, with Austin Havens, uh, Bixby, and uh, Micah Tease for Booker T. Uh, I thought Micah Tease had some really interesting remarks and I really enjoyed that um maybe we don't want to mention who just in case it falls through or you have to shift gears but tell us tell us about the next one coming up you know I, I think uh we've been very fortunate so far with these we've got some well-spoken kids who come on here are are honest and truthful and willing to be candid with us and and share their opinions on topics that uh you know, aren't the easiest to talk about, you know, sometimes talking about your friends transferring out of school is, is tough and, and what the NIL landscape was going to start looking like in high school. All these things are, are not easy to talk about. And, you know, maybe even, even recruiting, it's not, it, all this stuff is, is mature and difficult conversation at times, but, but these guys have been willing to delve into it and, and share their feelings. And, uh, so that's all I'd say. I'd say ex continue to expect that. Continue to, to learn about these kids, uh, not just for the helmet they wear on Friday nights, but who they are every other day of the week. Are you doing one this week? Yes. You know what day? No. <laughs> Wednesday or Thursday. Yep, yep. It's, it's fluid, right? It's all fluid. <laughs> Yeah, no, they've been they've been great, Dean. That's it's really been a nice addition to uh, to our high school coverage this year is those podcasts that you're doing. So, uh, guys, unless there's unless there's anything else, we can wrap it up right there. Barry, any, any final thoughts? 
I just think this week has um, got a lot of interesting matchups. Again, some people may not think they're the just like last we were saying last week. No, no, don't really have any of those traditional marquee matchups this week. So at first glance, you might think, oh, this isn't a very exciting week. But as was the case with last week, there's just a lot of good matchups out there. Um, so a lot of close games. I mean, when you looked at what happened last week, the Sequoia Rejoice game lived up to my expectations of what it would be, what a great game it was. Bill Haston was at, Col at Collinsville for the Collinsville-Kelly game, which mm -hmm. was a great game too. Central Kesha Hall, that was really good. Uh, there were quite a few out there last uh, last week. And so it's a very similar type of week as far as those type of matchups are concerned. Yep, yep, great point. And I loved Bill's column, uh, the, the raise your hand column, where he was like, raise your hand if you saw this and this. And, you know, it was, that was a good read. Uh, okay, we appreciate everybody joining us. You can download us for free at Apple, Google, or Spotify. Uh, we meet each Monday and we do this kind of thing with Dean and Barry, and uh, we'll hope you'll check us out. Guys, thanks for the knowledge, and we'll talk next Monday. Thanks, Patrick.